Almighty God, open our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to your scriptures meeting and commit us to its path. Amen. I call my mother mother. I've always called her mother, as far as I can remember. I do have some memory of very young calling her mommy, but she's always been mother to me. She has visited this congregation a few times. Some of you may have met her. A few weeks ago, she returned some shoes to the mall, and she asked for a receipt. The clerk asked her for her email address, and my mother said, why do you need my email? I don't want to give that out. And the clerk said, ma'am, we want to email you the receipt. We're trying to save the planet. My mother gets home and there are two emails from the shoe company. Neither is the receipt. Both are trying to sell her more shoes. Welcome to America, where saving the planet always involves some renewed plan to sell you. If only we make smarter purchases, then we will save the planet. Consumer capitalism figures out the angles to get you to purchase more and more in order to change the world. This is the capitalist ideology. Their world is driven primarily by business and consumerism. Yet, uh, the quote from Albert Einstein on today's bulletin cover suggests that business as usual is not the remedy to solving the problems that are coming about from business as usual. I am very skeptical that the profit motive can cure the mess that heedlessly seeking a profit is causing on our creation and our environment. Our reading from the prophet Isaiah this morning is the Bible's signal and unique message regarding the scale and misuse of fuel and its combustion. In this passage from Isaiah, the idol maker is charged with diverting combustible resources away from personal warming and cooking toward the creation of idols. Let's hear it again. He cuts down cedars. He plants a cedar in the rain, nourishes it. Then it can be used as fuel. Part of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Then he makes a god and worships it makes it a carved image and bows down before it. Half of the fuel he burns in a fire. Over this half he roasts meats, eats it, and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, uh, I am warm, I can feel the fire. The rest of the fuel he makes into a god, his idol. Bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, save me, for you are my god. He feeds on ashes. A deluded mind has led him astray, and he cannot save himself or say, is this thing in my right hand, is not this thing in my right hand a fraud? 
Now, I believe that fraud in his right hand, in contemporary terms, is our economy's idol of luxuries produced by a carbon-intensive economy that takes away from God's intended provision of fuel for subsistence needs. This is a centrally marked text in this section of, of Isaiah, and I believe that he is, condemn, he is condemning our idolatrous economy. Now, some of you may be following the Juliana lawsuit that began a couple of weeks ago in Portland. It's also known as the trial of the century. 21 children are suing the government for violating their constitutional rights to life because the government subsidizes the fossil fuel industry. Children know that their elders have created the climate crisis as the elders continue to display moral inertia, neglecting to change their and our ways. Older generations are providing the young with unassailable grounds for moral grievance, not just the foundation for an innovative lawsuit against government. Not only is grievance, grievance culture toxic to community building, grievance culture brings down the church and the kingdom of God in at least four ways. First, grievance by the young delegitimates institutions like the church promoted by earlier generations. Second, grievance interferes with a healthy appreciation for creation's goodness, running down the idea and our message of a creator. Third, the environmental destruction brought about by climate change has resulted in mass extinctions and the totality of God's worshiping community is disrupted. Look at Psalms 104 and 148 to see that all the species are assembled to praise and worship the Creator. If they go extinct, that's a disruption. And finally, Isaiah 44 specifically condemns the combustion-fueled luxury economy as idolatrous and thus is counter to God's intended kingdom. Isaiah's message, I believe, is for us to consider our profligate combustion-fueled economy as both idolatrous and the immoral wrecking of God's kingdom purpose. Our heat-trapping pollution is a source of grievance by God as felt through God's favored future, today's children. And as Christians, my friends, I believe we must take this prophetic challenge seriously. Not, I hope, as a moral scolding. Preachers like prophets can be moral scolds. But as a message to align our lives to be saints with the direction that God intends. 
And I believe that God's intention for the planet involves humanity developing the virtues that preserve the atmosphere. Specifically, the virtues of thrift, self-denial, and loyalty. The virtue of carbon thrift takes stock of daily decisions to consume and pursues the path of least combustion. After worship this morning, in our Sunday seminar, Marin Interfaith Climate Action, represented by my friend Pat Carloni, is presenting some steps that we can take to pursue carbon thrift in our living situations and lifestyles. I hope you'll attend. The virtue of carbon thrift is the most compelling of our calls to reduce carbon emissions. Individual thrift in combusting carbon compounds is the foundation for directing society towards sustainability, atmospheric care, and our children's healthy, balanced future. The second virtue I want to live up, lift up this morning is the virtue of asceticism, which is self-denial. Self-denial is not taking that jet vacation to exotic long-distance locations, even though we can afford it. We Christians are not part of today's culture of self-creation, where diverse and flashy experience determines or fleshes out our identity for the admiration of others. We are not self-created. We are instead people created in God's love. We are people of the Holy Spirit. We are not people of the jet. Our identity is not self-created, but is realized in the love we've experienced of God, which we reflect outward. The selling of capitalism's idea of a jet travel bucket list is pure propaganda, consumer propaganda. And Christians are meant to be countercultural. At my stage of life, exotic travel is not essential to my growth in character or effectiveness. I find the idea of a bucket list a capitalism implant into my desire. And so I have personally given up the goal of worldwide travel in retirement for the sake of the atmosphere. And as I've learned to testify from my friend Royce, I fly only for family. The next virtue, loyalty, applies to planet and place. Loyalty to the planet is not falling for the Hollywood NASA fairy tale that humanity has a destiny on another planet so that we can trash this one getting there. Loyalty to place encompasses people vacationing far closer to home and purchasing food from local farmers markets. Two people driving a car to Los Angeles emits about one quarter of the carbon and equivalent compounds that bring about global warming than those two people flying to Los Angeles. One quarter. 
Loyalty to place displays to neighbors the changes in personal lifestyles one is making for the benefit of the atmosphere. I brought to you this morning the message that profligate consumerism, founded on a carbon combustion economy, negates the kingdom of God in many ways, and that the solution is found in our commitments to pursue the virtues that commit ourselves to the care and stability of the atmosphere. I mentioned that the prophets were moral scolds, and they called ancient Israel's attention to God's intention for society. And I want to try to suggest how this prophetic scolding for the sake of the atmosphere is actually pastoral. I hope I can make this case. In other words, my message to you this morning is intended to stimulate saintliness and the rewards of virtue brought about by carbon thrift, loyalty, and consumer self-denial. At the outset this morning of my reading from Isaiah, I mentioned that, it, that the Isaiah 44 passage is not in the Protestant lectionary. That is, it is not part of the usual cycle of worship readings in the church. I have only come across one person who has heard this passage preached, and he said it was 40 years ago. But I want to point out that this passage from Isaiah is integral to the yearly cycle of Bible readings in the Jewish synagogue. Reform Judaism employs this passage from Isaiah 44 in its annual sequence of Parashah and Haftarah readings. The Parashah is from the Torah, and the Haftarah is an associated reading that relates to that Parashah Torah reading. The sequence of Isaiah's condemnation of fuel idolatry is particularly linked in this Jewish reading sequence, yearly reading sequence, with God's final judgment. The Vayi cross service next year on March 28th on the Jewish calendar 5 Nisan 5780 has as its Haftarah reading Isaiah 44 with the description God's greatness contrasted with the sin of idolatry. And the following week, the Haftarah reading is Malachi 3, described as the approach of the day of judgment. This sequence of readings that follows the betrayal of God through idolatry with the approach of the day of judgment is repeated most years, unless festival cycles interfere or take place. This sequence is instructive regarding how seriously Judaism takes the sin of idolatry described by this morning's reading from Isaiah 44. It is to be followed by God's judgment. So, as a preacher with pastoral intent for his call to virtue this morning, I hope to direct your path to saintliness in your economic and carbon-consuming life because God's final judgment 
awaits us all. And here's why I think that matters existentially beyond solely the legitimate fear of a powerful and demanding God holding us accountable. I believe that God's final judgment and accounting will assign us to our eternal destiny. And while no one knows what happens after death, our reformed predecessors, like Jonathan Edwards, thought long and hard about what final destiny as Christians means. They believed, and it makes sense to me, that our final destiny with God will reflect the values, virtues, and commitments that we display in our current life of freedom. If our values, practices, and virtues pursued in freedom in this life support God's natural creation, including atmospheric care, then I believe that our final destiny at God's assignment will include God's ongoing richness of natural creation. On the other hand, if our values and commitments that we exercise in freedom in our current life focus solely on technology and material consumption, I believe it is possible that our final destiny would involve an environment of primarily human-derived features. And I don't know about you, but I choose the destiny of saints who rely on God's ongoing creative infinite goodness more than the limited and flaw-infected creations of humanity, no matter how spectacular and novel. If we value and we pursue the values of self-creation through consumerism, it's possible that will be our final destiny. If instead we pursue the values and virtues that serve God and serve God's creation, then I believe we will receive the exceeding overflow of benefits in the eternal destiny inside God's goodness and creativity. Scientists have their ear to the tracks. They can hear the massive vehicle of climate change off in the distance, but the enormity of the signal they pick up complicates their prediction as to the arrival and magnitude of the effects, the refugees, the droughts, the famines, the extinctions. The problems loom catastrophic, and many of the effects have already begun arriving. In addition to the cultivation of the virtues of carbon thrift, self-denial, and loyalty to planet and place, I want to suggest a visualization exercise for atmospheric trusteeship. Carbon, of course, and its associated um, gaseous equivalents are not visible, which is part of the problem. However, I've begun to visualize products and processes as the ashes that result from their production. 
When I look at my unconsidered purchases of two gadgets for my kitchen last year, I wince as I visualize the ashes embedded in their production and operation and the dust and rust of rust from their obsolescence. When I see a plane's contrail, which scientists are still studying as to their uh, global warming effects, but when I see a plane's contrail, I visualize it as a train of ashes. The prophet Isaiah is warning us. Isaiah 44's image for the modern combustion-fueled economy is feeding upon ashes. The vision I want to leave you with is the picture of ashes as the material goods and services one consumes. Ashes of injustice against the poor and other species. Ashes of futility for material consumption to enable happiness or bring on saintliness. Try visualizing ashes embedded in consumption yourself, and you may find your resistance to the carbon combustion intensive tragedy increasing and your participation in it abating. Radical political and social change is necessary, but even more is rapid change in personal lifestyle practices and responsibility. Our children and grandchildren are begging, poignantly begging, that we panic over global warming, but panic with a purpose. Let's turn aside their basis, basis for grievance against us. We can have vast carbon-fueled luxury, or we can leave our children and their children a decent life. We can't have both. Let's stop grazing on society's consumer ashes. Let us learn instead to embrace and kiss the sky. Amen.